everyone, welcome back to Mayday's Comic Book Adventure. Whether you're listening on my podcast or checking out my YouTube channel, I appreciate you being here. This week we are diving into Batman Volume 5 Dark City, which focuses on the time before the official start to the New 52 series and were written as flashback volumes during Year 6. I like starting here and reading all the Year Zero stuff. Uh, before going into mostly publication order. So far we have read Batman Volume 4 which focused on Bruce Wayne becoming Batman while taking down the Red Hood gang and setting up Riddler to take over the city. Then we read the DC Comics Zero Year which were all issue 25 stories from different characters and their time in Gotham during the blackout caused by Riddler and then the following Superstorm Renee which led into a month-long rule under Riddler. So I will get into this breakdown and then we'll rate this comic. I can warn you now that I'm a huge Batman fan and so I am I am biased here. This is going to be high but also I do really just like this way the story is written and then just the ending was really good and overall if you look at other people's ratings of this particular volume they're usually pretty high. This was a really good volume and I enjoyed it. In issue 24, we have a flashback at the beginning of the episode to a Nigerian desert, and we see Tokyo Moon on one of the helmets that lay in the sand after some trucks are blown up by the Nomad group. This is all we see for now, but these pages pop up throughout the issue foreshadowing a larger later event. I do want to point out that this was also on one of the post-it notes at Wayne Enterprises from Nigma last volume. Getting into Gotham though, Batman has made his debut and is now showing off his new and first Batmobile and he tricks the GCPD using the Static Bond tires. This is a callback to Bruce testing out Static Bond boots in the last volume and now has applied this to the Batmobile. I like also watching the progression of his technology, but he fools the GCPD much to the dismay of Commissioner Loeb. Loeb is really focused on catching Batman even though there's really other fish to fry here. The city is already out of power thanks to the Riddler. Renee is on the brink and all the events of his firing we read about in Zero Year comic haven't happened yet. They are chasing Batman specifically because he was at the crime scene of a gruesome murder. This is the second one to take place since the blackout and both happen to be Wayne Enterprise's scientist. Gordon doesn't think that Batman is involved but like them trying to solve the case so he isn't interested in chasing down Batman. He later tells Harvey that he thinks that Batman is what the city needs, that he is a light in the darkness. Mostly what he wants to do is solve the case with every bone in a person's body is broken and then twisted and it grows back. It's gross. This unfortunate victim is Dr. Paji. The previous was Dr. Kelver who also had his lab torch. Dr. Paji is a botanist whose assistant is Pam Isley who will later go on to be Poison Ivy but we'll read about her again I think in Birds of Prey issues. I don't think she pops up again before them. Isley at this point is more upset about the loss of the plants than her co-worker but is able to give a clue about who the person is that could have done this by telling the officers that the man looks skeletal making them think that whoever this is he's been experimenting on himself. 
At the Batcave, Bruce is working on a signal jammer that he plans to use later on Nygma. He knows that Nygma isn't going to just let the power come back on, even though it has been worked on and should be up in the next few days. He thinks that Nygma is going to use that moment for another crippling surge, and Bruce hopes his jammer can prevent that from happening. Meanwhile, Alfred looks at the sample that Bruce brought back from the crime scene, but all he can decipher is that it just doesn't make sense. With some research, though, Bruce does have a lead. Both of the previous dead scientists were employed by Wayne Enterprise, so Bruce does some snooping around in the company files and finds a Dr. Helfern that was once developing some kind of bone serum, but a lot of the records have been erased. He does know that Helfern was eventually fired and that there were a few other illegal labs Alfred thinks with this much evidence he should alert the police, but Bruce just doesn't trust them, and for good reason. He's griping about them when he exits the Batcave by ladder and then runs smack into Jim Gordon. Truly one of my favorite moments, but really one of the best parts of this volume is the development of their relationship and Bruce growing to trust him. For now, he doesn't, and refuses to work with Jim on this case when Jim comes asking for information since we know that both of these employees were Wayne Enterprise employees. Jim only wants to see that there is more going on here than just what's going on with him and Bruce. Bruce goes far enough to use the device he used to get rid of the bats in the cave when looking down when Jim is looking down in the cave, which causes Jim to get a face full of bats. Bruce then heads out to Gotham University where he sees Lucius Fox for the first time. He was fired from Wayne Enterprise by Philip Kane after Thomas and Martha's death, but was a close friend to Thomas. He is able to give some backstory on Helfern and really cements that this is who Bruce is looking for. He was hired to be part of a team that Fox put together with Kelver, Podgy, um, Brooker and Deeds. Helfern was a genius and had plans to make a serum that would allow bones to be reactive when they become injured. The example that was given is it could protect the brain should somebody get their head injured and it, just by repairing the bone itself. The conversation then takes a drastic turn when Fox injects Bruce with a serum and Bruce passes out. We are then on a flashback page with Bruce as a young boy the day his parents died. He has skipped school and it is Jim Gordon that found him and took him to GCPD where he could be picked up by his parents. That rolls us into issue 25 with Bruce coming to at Gotham University with Fox in Helfern's clutches. Turns out the name he does go by now is Dr. Death, a name coined by Fox himself when he was fired. He did not have a good record, obviously, and was a bit obsessive. I can't imagine. Helfern then moves to inject Fox, but Bruce interferes and Helfern is excited to learn that they are joined by Bruce Wayne, who at this point is in the shadows. He hangs Lucius and then heads out to look for Bruce. Bruce instead sends him through a jet engine that just happened to be in the lab. Then he gets Fox, who apologizes for injecting him, but it explains that it was an anti-serum vaccine, and then they head out quickly, but not fast enough. And the jet engine was not enough to stop Helfern. Instead, his bones healed and he's bigger and more grotesque than before. Helfern grips Bruce's head so tightly that it actually crushes his skull. Well, not crushes, it cracks it. But just before he kills him, Jim Gordon arrives and shoots Helfern, stopping him. Now Helfern probably could have handled the situation, but he flees the scene, leaving Fox and Gordon with a very injured Bruce Wayne. 
At this point, we have another flashback to Nigeria with Bruce with a group of the Nigerian nomads. This is later explained, but you see one of the guys in charge bring him a phone, telling him his father is on the other end. We then cut to Bruce in the present at Gotham General. Obviously, Bruce is not going to sit this one out and heal. Instead, he wants to leave and work on the jammer and ask Alfred for his formal wear. Unfortunately, he isn't going anywhere at the moment because he's cuffed to the bed by James Gordon. Gordon tries to tell Bruce that they are on the same side and that he wants to talk with him about this investigation. Instead, Bruce asks him about his trench coat, which loops back to the page earlier with Bruce as a child. He was picked up at the theater by Jim and taken to GCPD, but on the way, Gordon and his partner Corgan kept making stops. Gordon at the time explained to Bruce that they are checking in on the neighborhood, and Gordon is even gifted a trench coat by one of the shops. Bruce, as a child, was just in awe of how the GCPD looked over the city, a look that will later haunt Jim. This gets explained more in a moment. But for now, Bruce calls him out for taking payoffs and being a dirty, as dirty as a cop as anyone else in GCPD, and then disarms Jim, points the gun at him, a reminder of what happened to his parents later that night. He will never trust the GCPD or Jim Gordon. After Bruce leaves, Jim is then given a note, which is a copy of a note given to Commissioner Loeb from Riddler. Batman then gets his formal wear and heads out to his Batboat to the Newton Center. This is another Wayne-funded lab that works on weaponizing weather. Unfortunately, he's too late to save both Deeds and Brooker, the two remaining scientists on Hellfront's team. To make things even worse, the police, including Loeb, are there and ready for him. The issue then ends with a page illustrating a scene in Tokyo where a song is being played in 1946 about the moon to a group of soldiers, and one of the soldiers are really taken with this performance. This, again, is explained here later. We then jump right into issue 26, where we left off. Not only is Loeb and the GCPD there, but they seem to know everything Batman is going to do before he does it. First, they know he would use gas to mask his location and are prepared with gas masks. Then they knew he was going to go up with a yo-yo gun, and then he went outside where they had a bomb planted in his boat. He does go back inside and they shoot at him, but he does manage to get into a diving pool with an oxygen tank and he uses this to propel, propel him through the tank and out into the bay where luckily Jim Gordon is there to get him out of this mess. He tells Batman once he's convinced him to get into the boat that it was a note from Riddler that not only told the police what Batman was going to do, but that he has been working with Riddler, which gave Loeb all he needed to start a war with Batman. Then we get more of this trench coat story as Jim explains to Batman why he should listen to him. The answer is Bruce Wayne. Ironic, isn't it? Well, apparently, the look in Bruce's eye really got to Jim that day when he had nothing but adoration for the GCPD. That caused Jim to go to do some looking at these neighborhood stops, and he learned that not only was the coat a payoff, but that the GCPD, along with the criminals of Gotham, were running a dogfighting ring in the back. Jim tries to stop this and even mentions turning them into Loeb, but Loeb already knows about this and participates and instead is attacked by the dogs with other officers taking bets for the dogs. Eventually, Jim kills the dogs and turns the gun on Corrigan, but he promises Jim that should he step out of line, that it will be his kids, Barbara and James, that will pay the price. Jim then leaves saying he's going to go walk his beat, which he does mostly out of shame when he hears two gunshots around the corner, which are the shots that killed Thomas and Martha Wayne. 
And Jim explains to Batman that he now wears the trench coat as a reminder to himself and the others that he hasn't forgotten what they are and what they did. He explains that he now wants to do something about it because Bruce Wayne has returned to Gotham and he too is fighting the corruption of the city. Batman then does his disappearing act on Jim before saying any more. Back at the Batcave, Alfred has further analyzed the serum samples while Bruce works on the jammer. Alfred said that the serum is made of high levels of phosphorus and calcium and the various corrupted DNA from multiple sources. Alfred then verges the subject of Batman working with Jim as backup on the streets of Gotham and Bruce. And Bruce isn't as against it as he was before, but he is still not ready to take the leap to trust Jim Gordon. Instead, he attempts to head out because he thinks he knows where Helfern is. But before he goes, Alfred gives, I think, one of my favorite lines from this whole volume. He talks about Bruce and his lack of trust for others, including Alfred. Bruce attempts to write this off since Alfred is currently standing in the Batcave, but Alfred goes on to talk about the call in Nigeria. He says that Philip had learned about this location and had a team headed to get him. However, Alfred had used all his money to get a call to him to warn him about them, but Bruce didn't take the call. Alfred says that he thought that Bruce was angry with him and that the lack of trust stemmed from him being the watcher when he was younger, the guy who would report his misbehavior. Even now, what he has Alfred doing is stuff that anyone or even a computer could be doing. He thought that Bruce was angry with them because they were not there with him when he needed him the most the, the night his parents died. However, now he knows that Bruce is punishing them. He, Gordon, and really all of Gotham. He is punishing them by making them bear witness to him doing what they failed to do, looking after those in need to save Gotham and to be there for them. But what he really wants Bruce to know is that they see him now and they want to help. Bruce doesn't say anything to him. He isn't that kind of guy. Instead, he heads out to the catacombs under Gotham. And it is explained that these were built to protect the city from the marshlands it was built on. Getting buried here was such a popular thing that at one point families were only allowed to donate one bone. Thus, it's filled with years and years of corrupted old DNA and the source of the serum that Helford has been injecting his victims with. Bruce then comes across the lab and that Tokyo Moon helmet we have seen throughout. The big thing for now, though, is that Batman uncovers Dr. Death's ultimate plan, which has nothing to do with revenge. Batman actually learns that it was all a ruse for something bigger, a doomsday machine for the man above Dr. Death, the Riddler. Riddler then comes on the screen and basically tells Bruce that he failed the riddle and then floods the catacombs, moving on to the next riddle. In issue 29 takes us to a young Bruce at GCPD getting picked up by Thomas and Martha where the plan forms for them to go to the theater that night. They also talk with Bruce here about going about things all alone since his time in the cave. What Thomas says here to Bruce is very close to what we just heard Alfred say that there were not that they were not there for him in the cave but that they promised that they will be there for everything else. Obviously, they don't know that they're going to die in a few short hours, but this does explain as to why even after Alfred and Jim rage out to Bruce, he struggles to take their help. Last time it was promised, the promiser couldn't deliver. To the present, Jim is working on evacuating some neighborhoods when he gets a call from Batman telling him to get to Wayne Enterprise. That is the location of Riddler. Bruce knows this because it is the point of the question mark while the hubs that were attacked make the 
curved part of the question mark, if that makes sense. He also wants Jim to slow the process of the electric getting turned back on because when it does, it'll give control of the city to Enigma. James does try, but with Corrigan in charge of the tunnels and the bla bad blood that flows between them, that is not going to happen. Meanwhile, Batman is heading up in his new toy, the Batblimp, or airship, but has taken to the skies to stop Dr. Death with a jammer he has been working on. Batman has put together that with every murder, something has been taken that was used to amplify a remote hacking hub. The storm doesn't help this in this endeavor to stop this from being set off, meaning that Batman has to make a 70-foot jump when part of the airship goes out. He does make the jump only to come face to face with Dr. Death. They fight and Batman ends up losing that jammer he worked so hard on over the edge of the ship. After breaking Hellfern's bones to then form around the bars trapping him, he tries to take out the device in a last ditch effort. All the while we learn that not only did Nygma fund Hellfern's research after Wayne Enterprise, but he was the inspiration to have Hellfern try it on himself. Then we get the backstory of Tokyo Moon. This was Hellfern's great-grandfather in Japan in 1946, and that page we saw earlier, and believed that it was good luck to write Tokyo Moon on his helmet. This tradition carried in his family until his son was killed on a mission to Nigeria to save Bruce Wayne. Now, we have learned that this is Hellfern's mission for his serum serum to stop people from dying like this and linked his origin back to Bruce just like we have seen for Red Hood 1 and Jim Gordon and many more we'll be reading about later. Over with Jim he is not successful in stopping Riddler and narrowly dodges a rock held onto his finger which allows for Enigma's escape. This happens as the electric comes back on triggering the device to give control of the city to Enigma. Basically Enigma won again and we see the blimps in the sky begin to fall and the retention walls give way. Batman blames himself for failing the city, but it is Gordon that says that it was really all of them that failed. This then ties in with these beautifully drawn paintings of the death of Thomas and Martha Wayne. I know that sounds morbid, but I love the art here. With the end of the issue, it concludes the Dark City storyline. We skip issue 28 in here because it's not in this volume. It's a look forward at weekly issues of Gotham Eternal, which we'll talk about more when we get to year six and seven stuff. It is a long way off. And then into issue 30, we begin the Savage City storyline. The opening of this issue is a young Bruce Wayne in his teens meeting up with Julie, who he is dating. They are sneaking off for a date in Gotham when he then sees as his parents were in the alley with just all bloody and a bullet hole. It's gross. We then see another page of younger Bruce hooked up to an IV before he finally wakes up in the present at the home of Duke Thomas hooked up to an IV. Duke Thomas is very young here, but we will talk about him when we get to We Are Robin stuff because he does go on to be inspired by Batman and later Robin and is becoming a daytime hero of Gotham. But that too is pretty far off. Anyway, Duke is working on a crossword puzzle planning to challenge Riddler. Now, Bruce doesn't really understand what's happening because he has been out for 27 days, so it's almost a month into Riddler, Riddler's control of the city, and it has been rough. Duke explains that Riddler wants Gotham to be smart or die. Not all is lost, though, as we see Jim is still fighting back against the control and has a team of elite soldiers join him after parachuting in. This isn't the group he was expecting to take back the city and is a little disappointed. 
As for Bruce, he's working to get a hold of Alfred on a super special bat phone, and Alfred's happy to hear from him because he assumed at this point that Bruce was dead. However, Bruce is beginning to remember his time from the balloon fall. He ditched his formal wear and then later passed out. Alfred is able to get a little more insight into the state of the city. He explains that the remaining blimps contain a death chemical that will be released should anyone attempt to enter or exit the city. Alfred suggests that Bruce leave Gotham through the tunnel under the Brownstone and Crime Alley. This is probably the last functional tunnel out of the city as the rest were flooded when the retention walls exploded. The assumption is that Bruce is going to meet Alfred, but later Alfred only finds a note from Bruce because he's not about to leave the city behind to suffer without him. Another thing that Duke talks about is the Riddler coming on the big screen every night looking for someone in Gotham to challenge him. Should someone outwit him, he will let the city go. They get smart or they die. We see this play out when a former strategist for Powers Industry, Bob Chi, steps in to challenge Riddler. Bob was replaced in his job by Riddler after Riddler was fired from Wayne Enterprise. Before he even finishes the riddle, Nygma gets the answer and then dumps Bob in a pit below that contains Jekylls. It is a no return pit for sure. And Riddler isn't done here because he knows that there is someone breaking the rules. He then has Jim and the soldiers surrounded with these motion sensor drones. The men immediately offer Riddler $50 million, which was not part of the plan that Jim was aware of. Instead, Riddler plays a game with them, dominoes. He knocks over a building which starts a chain reaction headed in their direction. However, the drones are also playing a game with them of Ring Around the Rosie, and the first to move will cause all of them to die. Luckily, Batman is here to help and talks them through disabling the drones and getting them to safety to another building nearby. Into issue 30, Lucius Fox is back and planning to challenge the Riddler as he leaves a recording for his son Luke. I'm not sure where Luke is at the moment. Last we saw, he was being carted off to jail after the encounter with Menace in the Zero Year comic. I don't think we'll actually see him again until we get to the Batwing Volume 1, which isn't too far off, but still pretty ways out. Anyway, Lucius is planning to try his hand at saving the city when Batman meets up with him to help in a different way. Teamed up with now Lucius, Jim, and this group of soldiers, Batman begins to make plans to save the city. They acknowledge that the way the device works that is controlling the city means that Riddler is most likely still in the city. Unfortunately, they aren't able to track his specific location, but Bruce wants to try, which means that they need a, to get a device plugged into an active feed and keep it connected long enough to run a trace. So the plan becomes for Jim to get the device in place, Fox to run the trace, and Batman to keep Riddler engaged long enough to run the track on him. Jim gets the device in place pretty easily, and but the program is going to take 19 minutes instead of the 11 that they thought, really making Batman's work cut out for him. His riddle is really just an explanation of Riddler as a child who was brilliant that didn't get enough attention, which is pretty spot on for Riddler. Riddler fails to see Batman for who he is under the cow, though, and assumes that he is someone of a former military from low to middle class family, not even close. And the Riddler doesn't like being told that he is wrong and he doesn't believe Batman and then dumps him into the pit. Not all hope is lost, though, as he challenges Nygma to watch him destroy the trap that was set for him, keeping Nygma on for the much needed 19 minutes. The pit does end up being more challenging than expected, though, you know, with lions and all. 
Batman does handle them only for cars to be dropped on him. Luckily, Jim made it away from the drones that were near him at the device location and made it in time to help Batman escape. The flashback in this issue were of young Bruce, about the same age as he was in the part with Julie. He's in a class at high school when he's challenged by a teacher to solve a problem about wind resistance. He's unable to answer because he sees everyone in the class dead, like with Julie. However, the teacher continues to push, and at the end that evening, Bruce has sent the answer on fire in the teacher's lawn. Issue 32 begins with Bruce hiring a homeless man as, buncher, as a butler, which is weird because he was Alfred, you know, and it just doesn't make sense. With the success of last issue and getting the location of the Riddler, the team separate for a plan to catch him. Batman is apprehensive about this plan and feels that it's just too easy. However, he is there in the building coming in from above. Lucius is in a van nearby running the computers and Jim is coming from below with the soldiers. The hope is that they get the device that will turn the city back on and not allow for Enigma to escape either. At the last minute here, Bruce realizes that this was indeed a trap. In the tunnels, Jim explains that there are boxes all over and when the troops talk about a rip code that will send an airstrike once they get Riddler's location. Bruce puts together that Riddler is going to hack this device using this network he has. He enters the rip code, causing the airstrike on this location, with the boxes being bombs, and the central location of this building over the tunnels of Gotham could cause the whole city to sink. Of course, that's exactly what happens. Riddler has the airstrike coming, and they do not know where Riddler is, and Lucius is attacked by Riddler's drones, leaving him injured but alive. Batman is there at the end to help. Because of this encounter with Riddler, he has dropped the communica a communications net over the city. This means they no longer have contact with Jim and they cannot call off the airstrike. After rerunning their trace program, Batman thinks he knows where Riddler is at the edge of the city. He heads in that direction while Lucius begins working on something that can break down the communications net. When Batman arrives at Gotham Museum, the location where Bruce and Ed first met, Nygma is there waiting for him and ready to play the game of Go for Gotham. Bruce has to answer 12 riddles before the airstrike minutes away to get the communications net down to call the airstrike off. While Batman begins working on these riddles, Jim's heads to the top of a building to make a bat signal to inform the aircraft that the city is under Batman's control. At least, they hope so. This does buy some time for Batman as Lucius works on and succeeds in getting the communications net down in time. He uses that big penny from Philip's story in volume four, which is ironic because it was that story and trip with Philip that led to Bruce and Nicodemus meeting in the museum. With the communications net down, Batman has the opportunity opportunity to take Nigma out because Nigma is so into the game he doesn't notice. Batman does though because the drones set around the room stop tracing his movements. Bruce takes the opportunity to attack Riddler. They are still very on the, much on the clock because the bombers, while unaware of what is going on, do still have orders from the head soldier in Gotham to bomb the city. With Riddler down, there is only one small obstacle in the way of restoring the city. The whole system is connected to Riddler's heartbeat, and in order for that control to be surrendered, it has to be attached to someone else and rebooted. But Batman didn't come all this way to stop at defibrillating his own heart, which is exactly what he does with a device attached to him. At first, it seems like he fails, but Alfred arrives just in time to get his heart started and save the city. As promised, Alfred is always there to patch Bruce up. The lights come back on, which tells the bombers that 
that the city is out of Riddler's control and they do not bomb the city. It was close though. Now the volume skips ahead a month. Gotham is well on his way to rebuilding with Bruce leading the way at Wayne Enterprise. There's a lot of wrapping up here. He first replaces Jim's trench coat with a new one of the same design. This really symbolizes that Bruce recognizes Jim as a good man and the new coat is equivalent to a new start. Jim is also the new commissioner as the events of Loeb's firing happen during Dark City. They also briefly discuss that Nigma is in Arkham, which, which is a first. Arkham isn't known at this point for housing criminals, but Blackgate just wasn't equipped for someone like Nigma. Julie moves back to Gotham after hearing of Bruce's return and seeks him out. Alfred believes that this could be the push that Bruce needs to slow down with the Batman and build a real life for himself, but Bruce crushes that when he finishes the story of him from his teen years. Apparently, to stop those hallucinations he was having, he hired a butler, pretender, and was going to have his memories shocked out of him so he would no longer see his parents. At the last moment, though, he stops because he knew it wasn't the right way. Alfred still visualizes this life that Bruce could have just before delivering the news to Julie that Bruce has already spoken for. Now, into rating this comic. The overall story, I am ranking really high. I really like the way they tell the story here. I like the flashbacks that add value and meaning and connection to the present. We see this in Jim's trench coat story and the Tokyo moon with Hellfern, and then Bruce just becoming the version of Batman that we know and love. So overall, I'm giving this a five with no shame. I loved it. Into characters, another five, and again, I'm just not ashamed because the development of each character was really good. But I loved the most was the relationship building, especially Jim and Batman. I love the building of the trust we see happen here as Jim sees Batman and what he is doing for the city while also working to gain the trust of Bruce Wayne, a child he felt he let down. I love the connection with Alfred and Bruce here. This is still very early in Bruce's career as Batman, so there are still bumps, but we are establishing that real partnership. I also like the inclusion of Lucius Fox. Obviously, you can't do this without him. Villain-wise, I liked Doctor's Death's setup with the Tokyo Moon stuff from all the way back in Volume 4, and then Riddler was a pretty formidable foe for all of Gotham. In easiness to read, I'm giving it a 4.7. I think for some, the flat, the back and forth with the past and present could be confusing. I enjoy this type of storytelling personally, but sometimes it's like, what? Until later when it pays off. Pacing, I also give this a 5. There's a good balance of action and dialogue. I think about this over with my Deadpool breakdowns too. His issues are very fast paced because he's very much a chaotic character, but Batman is different. So that approach wouldn't work the same here. And I take that into consideration for a character like Batman, you want action with Batman. He's the fighter. And then with Bruce Wayne, you want more of the man with the dialogue and more of the detective work behind the scenes. So that I gave a five. And then the artwork is another five. There are just stunning images. I know I mentioned in other reviews that I prefer this art style to the more classic comic art style. There's a lot of Marvel art too that I really love. This isn't just like a DC versus Marvel thing, but on the Marvel side, we've just been reading older comics. So they have the older art style. So overall, this is a 4.9 for this entire comic, which I truly love this volume and highly recommend you check it out. On Monday, we are going to be breaking down Deadpool Volume 4. 
Deadpool Classic Volume 4, I'm sorry. And then the following week after that, we'll be doing Deadpool Classic Volume 5 for DC next Thursday. I'll be doing Batman Superman Volume 1 Cross Worlds, which um, has Earth 1 meeting up with Earth 2, Batman and Superman. So that's a really cool volume if you want to check that out. And then the following week, we'll be doing Action Comics Volume 1 and getting a look at the birth of Superman in the new 52. So thank you for listening, whether you are on my podcast or video. Um, if you want to listen or watch a different way, then make sure you check out the links below and you'll find other ways to watch.